Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for jumbo and super jumbo hot rollers now. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how's your last week been? Uh, busy Bryce, thank you. Was at Stamford Bridge Tuesday night for Chelsea Carabag, and then I was at Wembley for Wednesday night for Dortmund against Spurs, where they were um, rather emphatically beaten. Um, and then after that, uh, we just had a nice weekend. How was your Thursday, Bryce? <laughs> Very eventful. So I was at the uh, Arsenal Cologne game. So yeah, that that was certainly an interesting one as well. Um, on on the fields. Plenty to talk about, but off the field, um, yeah, lots going on. But I didn't see any of it, if I'm honest. Um, I think it's been a little bit blown out of proportion, will we say. But um, we'll talk about that a little bit as uh, as we move through the European games of the uh, last week. Um, joining uh, Chris and I, as always, is uh, Manu Vett as well. Manu, how's your week been? Yeah, busy um, backing up you guys while you're touring around london watching different games and eating at buffets i'm looking at you chris and uh so very busy but good you know very good i think we've seen some very good football games this week yeah most certainly plenty to talk about but joining the three of us uh this week back once again is john mckenzie john how have you been it's been a little while since we've had you on but we're, we're glad to have you back yeah, I'm good, thank you. I've just had a week off, so I've got to got the time to write the things that I always want to write, but I don't really find time to, so I've had a good week. Good stuff, and as I said, we're very happy to have you back. So, let's talk about the European games. Let's just jump in there before we talk about this week's Bundesliga games. Um, yeah, maybe not the best uh, week in Europe uh, for the German sides, uh, Manu. If we look, um, well, we'll start with the Champions League, I suppose. Uh, only Bayern, out of the three sides, uh, picked up uh, three points. But it was uh, an emphatic win against uh, Anderlecht uh, with three goals. But um, again, maybe the performance lacked. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, the, they got off to a good start with um, Lewandowski's goal, with the penalty, of course, and the, the red card. I think it was Com who got sent off for Anderlecht. And, you know, you would have thought that from there on Bayern would just trash the, the Belgium side, but it didn't. And, you know, there was even times where Anderlecht could have gotten back into this match with 10 men. And, um, there was some weird body language on the field too, especially between Robin and Lewandowski, who, um, shouted at each other at one point and, um, Ribéry, when he was taken off, throwing his shirt and, um, yelling at Ancelotti and, had to be calmed down by Willy Sanyo. So um, there's some weird stuff going on at Bayern. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit further down. But they didn't convince me. You know, they, it's just not convincing right now. And I think the chemistry just isn't there. Uh, they, they, there's too many guys doing their own thing or being busy doing their own thing. And, and, and Robert Lewandowski is a perfect example for that. There's rumors that he's trying to push a move to Real Madrid. And... I believe there's probably something to that because, you know, the way Robert Lewandowski has always worked in his career is always one step after the other. And he sees himself as um, trying, wanting to be the best player in the world and um, thinks that maybe he can do that at Real Madrid. And that has caused some big consternation at Bayern's dressing room when you saw that on the pitch. You didn't see it this too much this midweek, but uh, something definitely going on and something that we, we discuss a little bit more, I guess, further down the pod. 
Well, Manu, would you say with all this uh, unrest that it's only a matter of time before Ancelotti is then uh, give the chop? Oh, you know my opinion on that. Well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not, you know, Bayern are Bayern. There's certain timelines for everything. And I think you have to go down and you have to go back a long time um, to when Bayern fired a coach at around Christmas time. So I, I don't think so. But it could ha- definitely happen towards the back end of the season. Chris, if we just speak about um, well, the Spurs uh, Dortmund game. I mean, the three of us came on here uh, last week, didn't we? And we we said that um, yeah, none of us fancied Spurs to win that one. And what what, what exactly happened? I mean, three uh, one. It, it seemed like a bit of a disaster for Dortmund, uh, especially when Wembley, um, you know, is, is such a troublesome place for Spurs to uh, to play at. But they didn't seem to have any problems on on the uh, Wednesday night. No, they didn't. And it could have been a lot more uh, than the 3-1 scoreline, although it could have been a higher either way. But on the whole, Dortmund had the most possession, you know, so the 3-1 scoreline is quite hard to believe. They had 63% possession, Bryce. Um, but crucially, they couldn't really do much with that possession. They only had three shots off target and three on target. Yeah, but um, Chris, two of those shots were good goals and they didn't count. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah we, we can we can chat about that. Um but at the, at the start, I think the first one was definitely offside. The second one, I'm not so sure about. Um, but unfortunately for Dortmund, they were poor at the back. I mean, Socrates and Piszczek had a nightmare on that left-hand side. They were torn apart by um, Son and Kane, who could have had more goals than they did. Um, I didn't feel that the midfield trio settled particularly well. So Sahin and Dahoud and Kagawa didn't settle at all. In fact, it was about 15, 16 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes until they fully settled. And we'd have three goals by then. Um, Tottenham were able to just sit back, soak up the pressure and then pick Dortmund off at will, which I was supposed that Bosch will have learned a lot more from that than he would have done um, via a defeat. But yeah, as Manu said, the first goal... I'm not so sure on, but the second one, that should never um, have, have been disallowed. And then also from that, you know, uh, how that affects the game. Do Tottenham um, buckle a little bit? Do Spurs, uh, sorry, do Dortmund come and get an equaliser? It's unsure. Um, Voska said quite quickly that the, oh, sorry, it was Zork, wasn't it, who said that um, he thought that the referee wasn't suitable for the game, that the game was above him um, and he didn't particularly do himself any favours. Uh, the Italian um, officiating team had a little bit of a nightmare. It wasn't just uh, the big decisions. They seemed to get quite a couple of decisions wrong, especially um, in front of me, in front of the press box. There was various corners not given, uh, goal kicks not given, um, throw-ins given the wrong way. It was just a bit of a poor night for the officiating team. But I think Dortmund had a poor night on that left-hand side. They were um, picked apart at will. Um, Hungerman's son went close on another occasion. Kane could have had another couple. Um, but, you know, as, as Manu says, on the flip side of that, um, Aubameyang and Pulisic could have both scored. But Yarmolenko, Andrew Yarmolenko, that I still will struggle to find a better goal on the whole of the Champions League match day than that. The way he just picked it up, got inside, dropped his shoulder and, and unleashed a shot with his left foot, which curled past um, Lloris, who's a brilliant keeper, and it just gave him absolutely no chance. Um, and I thought that Spurs, uh, sorry, that Dortmund came back into that very quickly and, and was hoping that they would push on. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a night of not to be. There was a lot of mistakes at the back. The midfield didn't seem really to be on top form, then the front two, the front three, sorry, went firing as a trio, and then throw that into the mix with the bad refereeing decisions. Um, it was a recipe for disaster. Um, it could have been, could have been a little worse um, for Dortmund at the end, but yeah, um, I think it's a learning curve for them. But they bounced right back today, obviously, as we record this on Sunday, um, and we'll get to that game in a bit. But um, yeah, I was slightly disappointed leaving um, Wembley Stadium on Wednesday night. And Chris, if, if we speak of, about that group uh, a little bit further, we kind of suggested before that we, well, I think everyone fancies Real Madrid to go through Group H, uh, possibly in first, but uh, then second place would, would get you through to the next round as well. And that'll probably be down to Spurs and Dortmund. And I think a lot of people had possibly suggested that Dortmund would be getting that second place. Do you think this means that the well, that's shifted slightly and now Spurs will be the favourite? No, it's only one game, but that was quite a win. 
Um, yes and no. Uh, obviously, Spurs will feel that they've got a valuable win there. They still got to go back to Signal Iduna Park. Um, if obviously if Dortmund win that, then it's equal. Um, Dortmund have also lost. I think it's um, four of their opening Champions League group matches throughout their time that they've um, been in the Champions League, and they've always qualified. So I think the official website called it inconsequential. In- um, so I'll I'll bow to their superior knowledge on that. Um, and and say if they're prepared to say that it won't affect their outcome, it's yeah, it's one game, isn't it? Um, and it's important that now they either don't lose again or they only draw on their away games. But um, Spurs will fancy it. It's just whether they can put that together. I still do fancy Dortmund to come second in this group to Real Madrid, though. But you know, maybe if Spurs um, give an upset uh, to Wembley against Real Madrid, that sort of opens the group right up, doesn't it? So. Um, I would say that Spurs will feel they're in a stronger position, but Dortmund, have, I think, have got the, the better experience and probably have got the better squad to get second place. Yeah, it's important to remember, I think, that Spurs have such a narrow squad that they have a really fine margin for error when it comes to the European competition. Um, if they get a couple of key injuries, then they just don't have the depth to, to really kick on in that group. Yeah, couldn't agree more, John. Uh, I mean, there's plenty more games to uh, come, so I'm, I'm sure there'll be 20 twists and turns to come. Uh, but, um, John, let's uh, speak to you a little bit further. Uh, Leipzig were also playing um, against Monaco. We, we kind of thought that this might have been one of the games of the, uh, well, the match week in the Champions League, both two very attacking sides. Uh, Leipzig taking the uh, lead, but then, um, well, th- throwing it away only two minutes later. Um, how was this for the first game for uh, Leipzig? It, it would, would you classify this as a good result or a little bit dis- disappointing, especially as they took the lead? I think it was a very tentative fixture. I watched the majority of it, and I thought Leipzig acquitted themselves well with uh, the added caveat of the fact that they gave away the goal. Um, there was a bit of a mix-up in the defence and between the defence and the keeper, uh, allowing Tielemans to, to kind of nip in and score. So they'll be disappointed with that. They started off well. Forsberg's goal was taken really, really well. Um but I think the thing that Leipzig is struggling with at the moment is probably squad rotation. We're going to go and talk on. We're going to go on and talk about their uh, subsequent Bundesliga fo- fixture. Uh, but they they obviously were missing um, Nabiketa, which was was big for them, and so it's meant that they've had to tweak the the lineups a little bit. So they had Ilsanka in the central midfield position alongside Diego Deme, and for me, and we're going to again, we're going to talk about this with respect to. Um, Gladbach, but when you play with two central midfielders in a midfield four, two wingers, it's so important that you have uh, a really good ball carrying midfielder in there. And neither Deme nor Ilsanka are anywhere near the level of uh, Naby Keita for me, so that probably affected them um, as well. So I think they'll, it wasn't a bad result for them. It was a good result for them, particularly because it's the first game in the competition. But they will have wanted to have taken that first goal and, and carried on and got the three points. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, let's talk then Europa League uh, briefly. Uh, Matter if, if, if we speak about uh, a team that almost got into the Champions League but fell to uh, Liverpool in Hoffenheim, we kind of expected them to, to start off strongly and uh, get their heads up and get going, but that really didn't happen, did it, against uh, Sporting Prague and they managed to lose a 2-1 in the end. Uh, do, do you think this will affect them going forward? Yeah, I think this is a very unfortunate result for them. And we expected them they would win this game, right? But um, I think we'll get to that when we talk about Köln as well. That first European game is so difficult for any side. The first time you play in the group stage, the first time you, um, you know, you're trying to get your head around that you have played on the weekend and you're playing midweek. And, um, some of the inexperienced sides really struggle with that. I mean, we remember, I remember when Dortmund first got back into group stage football in the first in the Europa League and then in the Champions League, they didn't get out of the, those group stages, even though they had the squad for it and they won the championship in those two years. And that's because it's a, such a different, um, mentality was such a different thing to do to play that midweek game. And I think Hoffenheim, um, we'll have to really wrap their head around what it takes to play in Europe midweek and then play football on the weekend. And unfortunately for the Bundesliga, we have a lot of teams in Europe right now that have to deal with that. I mean, uh, Köln is another one. Hertha is one. Leipzig. 
as, as a lot of teams, um, all those teams have not played in group stage of Europa or Champions League, um, either never or in a long time. And I think that's, that's why you see the results that you get to see right now when it comes to the Bundesliga sites in Europe. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're obviously, um, going to touch slightly on the other two Europa League uh, games, but, um, I, I feel Hertha, uh, Atletico Bilbao being nil-nil and Hertha continuing to be labelled rather boring with their play. Um, this is about all we need to touch on it. Uh, let's uh, move on then to uh, Arsenal versus Cologne, which obviously uh, was surrounded by controversy because of the amount of uh, Cologne fans that were sent to London. Uh, 20,000 when only 2,700 tickets were actually allocated. Well, what price? They weren't sent. They, mean, they just traveled there well sorry <laughs> wrong words they, they traveled but um yeah i mean it's not like anyone forced them to go but they i'm sure they were eager and excited to go um and yeah the game was then delayed by an hour uh wasn't it and uh, there was talk of it possibly being uh, called off and i uh, managed to go to the game but um i, I must say well, even when i i got round the grounds uh, yes there was some footage of uh well, some people being idiots will always say kicking over railings and that. Um, well, actually, when I got round the ground, it wasn't nearly as bad as what uh, social media had portrayed it. And I think some of the, the media in the newspapers and that have really blown this out of proportion and made some awful comments in describing it all. Um, and it's, it's a little shame that it's uh, then takes it away from uh, Cologne's uh, first uh, European game in, I think it's near 25 years or, or something. Um, even though they on on the pitch they they put up a, a good first half. Uh, we're one 0 up. It was a hell of a chip by Cordoba over Ospina. Uh, but unfortunately, Arsenal came strong in the second half, scoring three. And Sanchez, uh, especially, was just a bit too much for them, and they lost three one. So a bit of a, a bad start for Cologne, but I, I feel they'll still get through their group. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's been a tough time for them, as we mentioned. But, um, Manu, we'll, we'll speak to you very quickly. Um, how do you feel the uh, media have portrayed, uh, the traveling, uh, German fans, um, over the last week? I know some of the headlines were, well, pretty shocking, really. Yeah, it's, it's the British media. I expected nothing less from them, to be honest. Um, I think Chris, Chris has some pretty strong views on fan treatment in Britain. And uh, I think you probably have a couple of things to say about this as well. But, you know, this, the Emirates is, I've been to the Emirates a few times myself and it is a nice facility, but at the same time, it's a facility built in a bottleneck. And it's, it's a stadium that has quite a few shortcomings in terms of the, the way it's situated. And it's not well built for um, receiving large amounts of football fans you know, fans, uh, real fans that, that they want to bring joy to a game. And the, the big problem with Arsenal is, of course, uh, is that there is a lot of season ticket holders that just don't show up for these Europa League games or even Champions League games, which then, of course, means that the stadium is empty, even though lots of people want to go. And that's an Arsenal-specific problem. It's an Emirates problem. And I think they just didn't the city authorities and Arsenal in particular didn't quite understand what this game meant for for Cologne supporters that have been waiting for I think it's 26 years to get to this this stage and to play a big European fixture and a little bit of research and a little bit of communication would have done the job for them and I think that's that although not all Cologne fans behaved themselves properly I think there was a massive failure in terms of organizations um, in and around this game yeah, well, I, I think uh, what sums it up is that there was only four rests out of the 20,000 people that traveled. So I think there was a, a small bunch that, yes, behaved poorly, but I, I don't think it was maybe as, as bad as it's, uh, as it was portrayed, will we say. Um, Chris, um, if we just look at the, uh, the Bundesliga as of these, uh, results, um, drops behind the, uh, the Premier League, doesn't it? In, uh, the, Co- the European coalition, uh, co-effective, sorry to say. Uh, I can't even talk today. Sorry about this. Um, but yeah, well, what is, is this a concern for, for German football in Europe? Uh, not really, no. Uh, as Manu said previously, so if you look at who's represented Germany in the last few years, uh, you've got Bayern Munich, Dortmund, um, Schalke, Gladbach, um, and Bayer Leverkusen. Now, obviously, three of those um, aren't in it this coming season, or the season that we're in now, which is uh, namely Schalke, Gladbach, and, and Leverkusen. So there's your European history. 
um, for the past few seasons. And Hoffenheim are brand new in, Leipzig are brand new in, um, Hertha Berlin, are, uh, you know, are a little um, jaded at the moment from top to bottom. And then, you know, we've just talked about Cologne, who haven't been in the European competition for 26 years. So that's going to take some sort of uh, learning process. I would say that if the um, Premier League had... Um, a lot of new sides in in its European competitions, then you know pretty much the results would be similar, and we've seen that in the past with the likes of West Ham have just dropped out straight away, um, and haven't been past uh, qualifying rounds. Um, you know Everton are having a tough time in the Europa League at the moment as well. So you know it's a learning curve for all teams, no matter what league they come from. Uh, you know Spanish teams as well. So any team from the top five leagues in Europe who's not used to playing in Europe will find it a real challenge. Um, I would like just to step back one um, particular thing that we were chatting about there, and it wasn't all bad news in the British press. You've got the likes of um, Sam Wallace, who's the chief football writer for um, The Telegraph, um, who wrote a very good article about um, you know the Cologne fans' passion, um, and it reminded super clubs like Arsenal of days when European football meant so much. And you've got the likes of... Um, Barney Roney, who is in, um, who writes for the or the Guardian, who um, who also wrote an excellent piece on um, on how it wasn't as bad as is portrayed by. So I'm going to say the old guard of the uh, English football writers. So you've got Wyatt at the Sun, uh, Winter at the Times, and Cross at the Mirror, who are very old. Um, hence, or dare I use it, public school um, boys who, um, you know, probably would be best more suited these days to writing on rugby, um, where the atmosphere isn't as bad. I mean, for instance, John Cross said it was a throwback to the 80s. Well, you know, Bryce, you were there. Did you see darts being thrown at anyone? Did you see women and children being kicked? Um, Did you see, you know, anyone being stabbed with standing knives? No, probably not. So there's a sensationalist headline. What we saw was, you know, maybe 15 people kicking over a barrier and um, maybe the same inside the stadium fighting stewards. Now, that's 30 people that shouldn't have been doing that. But out of 20,000, you know, that's 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 not bad. And the problem that the the English press have is that had that have been Leicester, Liverpool, Manchester United or even Arsenal abroad, um, you know, it would have been really bad. Well, no, it would have been bad because it would have been blown out of proportion by the same papers. Um, So, you know, there was a little bit of balance there, um, you know, and I'd be surprised if things weren't said when those particular journalists get um, to Cologne, if they indeed want to travel to Cologne. But to say that it was a step back to the 1980s, you know, was absolutely ridiculous because as far as I can see, as I say, no darts were thrown and no toddlers were punched in the face. So, you know, it's overkill by some, but thankfully there was some really good balance put out there by the likes of Sam Wallace and Bonnie Roney. Yeah, most certainly. I think it was very well put, Chris. Um, yeah, blown out of proportion. Well, I think we'll we'll have to leave it at that. And yeah, I, I don't think we'll uh, we'll be paying much attention to those fellows when it comes to uh, having uh, traveling supporters uh, arrive on our shores. But uh, guys, I think that more or less does it for Europe. Uh, let's get straight into the Bundesliga. And John, let, let's go to you first. Um, what a weekend um, for Hanover! Eh? I mean, they've they've really started um, the season well. Newly promoted, four games under their belt, three wins, one draw. And on Friday night and Saturday night, they were top of the league, which was the first time, I believe, in 48 years. I mean, yes, there's only four games in, a lot could happen. But yeah, it's a, it's a great start, right? Yeah, and it's a great start in, if you consider the fact that they were struggling in the course of the summer break to actually put a squad together. Um, obviously, there's a lot of controversy that's built up around around the club recently because of um, the takeover bid, the recent takeover bid that went through, which um, relied on the, the DFB um, axing the need for them to comply with the 50 plus one rule. And this caused a huge amount of problems with some of the fans who felt as though uh, this, this was not the right way for them to go. Um, but yeah, they spent um, most of the summer struggling to really build a team up I think they only, the last week of the transfer window, they only signed four players and they, in the end, managed to sneak a couple of uh, strikers through right at the end of the, of the um, window. Um, Jonatas and, from Ruben Kazan. And Ilas Bebu from Fortuna Dusseldorf. And they were both fairly expensive transfers. Um, and they represented what Manu has called a significant outlay for Hanover in his piece on footballstat.com. Um, and we're told that this is going to be become the norm at the club. So I think 
the, the the season start that they're having, which is obviously incredible, the fact that they were topping the table after four games is impressive, and even more so in the in light of the fact that they were um, sort of cobbling together a, a squad through the course of the summer. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's a, it's been a hell of a start of the season for them, but not without controversy. And Manu, it seems like every year uh, we're talking about this fifty plus one rule, um, and so that that. That doesn't seem to be a well. It doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, and the, I mean, the fifty plus one rule. There's so much controversy about it, and um, we have so many exceptional rules and clauses. And uh, this club is allowed to do this, and that club is allowed to do this. This club is still navigating it this way, and um, you know, Martin Kent he gets around it because he's in, has invested in the club for twenty years. DFL says if you've invested in a club for 20 years, you, you're allowed to buy the majority share of the club. The members of the club have agreed to do this. You know, there's a certain amount of ultras that don't like that. The traditionalists, ah, you, you know, my opinion on it. I, I like the fact that clubs, um, run by members, but it's not for every club. And I think to, to make it this, this set in stone rule, almost harms the league more than it does it good. And, you know, the likes of Bayern, the likes of Dortmund, these teams, they have already investors in them, but the way they're structured financially, they will never abandon 50 plus one because they don't need to. But with some clubs, maybe just even to break the status quo a little bit in the Bundesliga, like Leipzig is doing right now, getting rid of 50 plus two, maybe would actually be a good thing for the league. So that's my opinion on it. Uh, Hannover, I think, I mean, they had some issues this season. And the, the fact maybe that they didn't bring in too many players actually is helping them because the keen team chemistry is there. And them getting that start, you know, and um, dealing with at the same time with all the stuff that's going on on the side, you know, they're still getting the points. I think it's good for them. And um, I, I'm really curious to see. I mean, we had a few bubbles um, burst last season I mean, with the likes of Frankfurt, for example. So we'll see how uh, how long they can keep this going. But for now, it looks good for them. Yes, and that's it. We've got midweek games uh, coming up. Uh, an English week, as some would uh, call it, over in Germany. And that will see Hanover taking on Freiburg, where they may just fancy their chances. But Oh, yeah, that's a, that could be another three points for them. It could be, yeah. I mean, Freiburg, we always talk about them being fairly positive and fairly strong at home, but they've only uh, drew their two home games uh, this season. So, yeah, why not? Why not Hanover uh, take it to them? But let's find out. Uh, Chris, we talked about uh, Bayern having a, a bit of a troublesome start. There could be um, a dressing room, uh, you know, d- discomfort or d- dressing room... Uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, unrest. Lack of harmony. Yeah, all of the above, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely uh, over the weekend with a, you know, with with their victory, it's against Mans. You know, it, it silenced some critics, will will some say, or it gives uh, Ancelotti a little bit. Um, no, it takes a little bit of pressure off him for for another few days, anyway. Well, maybe it takes a little bit of pressure off him, um, but they beat a rather. Um, poor uh, Mainz side, and, and they beat them significantly well, four nil. Um, you know, uh, two perfectly spaced goals in the first half, and two perfectly spaced goals in the second half. I thought it was a really good performance by by all. Really, um, substitutions were made. I thought were excellent, which you know, Ancelotti may have been a little bit um, open to uh, criticism for lately. But he brought on Sula, Ribery, and Rudy, um, three great players who like to see play all the time. And interestingly, didn't bring um, Hamas. Rodriguez on who he's looked to first choice for the last few match days um, as a substitute and yeah they they went out and they won the game and they won it emphatically and I think they needed that really after the midweek although it was a big win as Manu said it didn't look like there was much team cohesion Um, this was a good win in front of a you know a strong home crowd against a team which is particularly poor, I thought, at the moment. Um, And, yeah, so I don't know if it'll take any pressure off him, but it may just underline the fact that, you know, he still can produce the goods if and when's needed. Um, Nice to see uh, Thomas Muller get a goal, um, as well as Robin. And, and, you know, Lewandowski does what he does exceptionally well, which is put a couple of goals in the back of the net. So, you know, would would it 
alleviate the pressure I'm, I'm not so sure because Bayern's a big club and they don't take it a game at a time it'll be looked upon you know the last two months last three months last four months but you know you can't really um, argue with anything you know opening goal in the 11th minute and then final one in the 77th it's a good spread of goals for me I thought they were very good and yeah as I say I thought that I don't know you go to somewhere like the Alliance and you start with a back five instantly I think you're looking what's the least we can come away with here is it a 2-0 or is it a 3-0 defeat I thought mine's were a little bit a little bit I don't know sour going into that with the setup I thought a, a 5-4-1 um, just basically says we, you're going to beat us but you know we want it to be one or two and you know unfortunately for them they were stuffed yeah and so how do you feel Bayern are going to get on midweek uh, way to Schalke uh, Schalke have had a fantastic start um, well, that's the test, isn't it? I think that's where we'll start to see what this Bayern side has got. It's all right, you know, playing at home in the Allianz and um, sticking four goals past a particularly poor Mainz. It's can you go away to places like Schalke, which is an intimidating arena, um, you know, full of passionate fans and a midweek game, can they go and get a result? I will say if they can get a result there um, against a team that have been doing okay, then that will show a little bit of a, a better result for them than maybe this does in, in reaction, oh, sorry, in reflection. Um, it probably should have been a lot more than four. Okay, and before we go away from Byron, Manu, let's speak a little bit about a comparison that you made uh, to what was referred as FC Hollywood. What, what exactly is FC Hollywood for anyone that, that is unaware? And this goes back to the 1990s. Um, this is the time under, well, first it was Trapattoni, and then uh, Giovanni Trapattoni, of course, the legendary Italian coach. And then Otto Rehagel, when Bayern put together their first dream team. And this was actually called the dream team in the German press. And um, that dream team quickly turned into FC Hollywood because there was so much going on. Uh, Lode Matthäus and Klinsmann, of course, uh, punching each other in, in training. And um, Beckenbauer um, getting in fisticuffs at some point because he took over from Rehagel towards the end of the season. And so there was so much mess going on and that, you know, all these star players clashing and um, Matteo's famously always talking to the Bild Zeitung and revealing secrets from the dressing room. And then, of course, um, you had a similar occurrence when Klinsmann was the coach there. It was, it was the, the, the dressing room um, coherence wasn't there. And uh, there was a lot of infighting and uh, a lot of backstabbing going on. And you had the same thing then, of course, under Van Hal and the second season, you know, where things just didn't quite go their way. And in all, Trapattoni, of course, left on his own at the end of the season. Rehage, Klinsmann and Van Hal overfired around match day 28. And uh, seeing, I'm seeing things like that going on right now. And, you know, that's that's for me, Robin, apparently, eternally, has said that everyone has to focus on the club rather than trying to focus and figure out their future. This is definitely a stab at Lewandowski. Um, we have to do more hard work. It's another thing that he said. Um, and this has been considered a stab at, re- at the, the head coach. And then, of course, you had the, the Ribéry incident that I mentioned earlier in the pod. Um, but also, and I find this really interesting that Robin went straight to Ribéry after scoring that goal and um you know it, it shows you that not all is well at Bayern right now and I think this is going to be the big test for them it's not on the field the stuff you know they have so much talent there's so much there they can they can win the championship they can win the champions league they can they can win the cup but there's so much ego in the dressing room and this is for me the big test can Ancelotti put the genie back in the bottle and, you know, there is maybe one positive for him is that Müller scored. Müller had a fantastic game. Um, but, you know, the moment, that's that's something that's like a Damocles sword. It's like hanging over him. If Müller doesn't do well this season, then he could be in real trouble. And I'm hearing things that out of Munich that Thomas Tuchel is lined up as a replacement, um, sort of as a stopover because they want to wait with Julian Nagelsmann for a few years. And then Julian Nagelsmann at some point can come in. But you hear this kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, uh, interesting times, definitely, at Bayern. It's going to be an interesting season, I feel, with mm. them. Uh, but uh, possibly uh, the game of the weekend, uh, which will go to John 
to uh, was RB Leipzig versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, what game this was? It finished at two all. Um, yeah, and as Manu said before, we came on the pod. It was two teams that really wanted to play football. John, uh, did you enjoy the game? Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I I obviously follow Gladbach quite uh, closely, so I was a, a little bit um, in a little bit of anticipation w- with respect to this game, uh, precisely because. In the first few games of the season, Gladbach have been struggling to create decent chances, and I just I didn't see them creating enough chances to be able to beat a, a, a Leipzig side that are just looking like a well-oiled machine at the moment. But as as it came to pass, um, Leipzig actually looked a little bit jaded, particularly later on in the game. So um, it, it allowed it allowed Gladbach to come in, and we, we managed to keep um, Dennis Zakaria on the pitch for the whole game which I think was important and it was telling them that we, we managed to get the equaliser later on in the game uh, after having gone down uh, to 2-1 two, to two, two and I did I was surprised that that happened because that's not the, the general form that the games have taken previously in, in, in the Gladbach games. So I thought it was a great game it was Gladbach play a, a, a attractive football partly because they play in a really fluid 4-4 last Stindl and Raphael up front uh, I think this does lead to problems in the way that they set up. I think that's one of the reasons why they don't create as many um, out-and-out chances as they could do, because both of those players do like to drop deep, uh, and they rely on having a strong midfielder in Dennis Zakaria being able to uh, actually carry the team to a certain extent. Uh, but they looked they look really really good when they're when they're playing. They keep the ball well. They move the ball around nicely. Uh, it's just that they they are almost too well drilled in keeping the ball. Uh, they they almost rondo their way around the pitch. So sometimes I kind of worry that actually the losing Andre Hahn could could maybe prove to be uh, a problem for them in the long run. I would personally would prefer to see an out and out striker with Stindl or Raphael playing behind them. I, I I have questions about whether or not they work together as a front two. Uh, but it worked out uh, this week. Uh, maybe as we were saying because. Leipzig had that game against Monaco, but it was a really fun game of football, a really good good game of football. Both teams uh, went after each other, and there was plenty of goals to be had, so I really enjoyed it. John, you you talk about Dennis Zakaria. I mean, just for anyone that's unfamiliar with him or hasn't seen him play uh, at all this year, um, what can you tell us about uh, the Swiss midfielder? I mean, you've obviously had some great players uh, over the last few years, like uh, Xhaka and Dehu. But uh, is he like either of those players, or, or what exactly does he do for the team? Yeah, again, I think what's really interesting in the, in the Bundesliga at the moment is that there are a lot of clubs moving from four at the back to to three at the back. Now, a number of the clubs who do play four at the back play for play it for a particular reason. Like Leipzig, um, who they were playing against, play a four four two. Um, because it gives them a fairly good framework for them to conduct their pressing game in. It gives them that unit of six up front, two, 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 and two, uh, and it allows them to move around the pitch quite nicely uh, in, in in the Gagan pressing um, the way that they like to play. Gladbach also play four 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 two, and there's a lot of clubs who do play four four two in the Bundesliga. But it seems to me that the reason they play four four two is precisely because it allows them to play both Stindl and Raphael up front. Um, but they also want to have four four at the back as well, and so that means that they are they're basically led to having a two man midfield against a lot of sides who are actually playing three men in the midfield because that tends to be the, the the modern way. And to do that, you you really need to have a, a player who can pick balls up, win balls back, and carry balls through presses, especially against teams like Leipzig. Um, so Zachariah is really important for that for that reason. Um, I think it's telling that um, in the last few games, uh, Zachariah's come off. So, so in the first game, uh, they won uh, Gladbach. Well, they beat Köln one nil, and he paid ninety minutes in that one. The second one, there was that famous draw with Augsburg, where Augsburg scored right at the end. Zachariah was subbed off on the sixty-third minute in that one. The loss against Frankfurt last week, it was one nil, and he was subbed off in the fifty-ninth minute. And after he went off, uh, Gladbach looked absolutely uh, clueless as to what they were doing. So I think it's it's very clear for the way that they're playing that they, given that they have this fluid front front two, which often becomes a front four because their wingers go advanced and their strikers come deep. 
important that they have that player like Zakaria who can who can pick the ball up and move it through presses, especially when you're playing against teams like like uh, Leipzig. Leipzig obviously have their own um, ball carrying midfielder in in the form of Cater, and I think the dis- difference between the two teams this week was actually that. Um, Zakaria outplayed Cater. Now there's reasons why that might be the case. Cater's obviously coming back from injury. I think they probably brought him back too early and he looks a little bit rusty. He was <clears throat> problematic for the, the, the Stindl goal. He tackled Diego Deme and the ball kind of came out and then Stindl was able to score from that. And then he actually gave away obviously a red card later on when he went in high boot against um, um, Christoph Kramer. Um, and so for me, it was it was a battle between the two. Um, the two central midfielders, and it was uh, Zachary who came out best. And just before we talk about uh, RB Leipzig a little bit, John, um, this week, obviously in midweek games, you, you have uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Stuttgart, which could be one of the, the games of the week, I, I would say. I mean, how do you feel that Gladbach are going to get on against them? Yeah, I hope that they'll be able to kick on from this result um, and that they will, will go on. They'll manage to keep Zachary on the pitch. That's going to be the big question for me. Obviously, given that they have this uh, bunch of fixtures now in the next week, these three matches, I think it's going to be it's, it's important for them to make sure that they rest him enough. So hopefully um, Gladbach will come out and, and maybe get a couple of goals early on, give themselves a little bit of a, a little bit of a buffer there so that they can rest him later on in that game. If not, uh, who knows? I mean, obviously, Stuttgart have been looking good. Um, so f- for me, if if if. Gladbach can come out, get a couple of early goals, and then rest Zachary. That would be great. But um, if not, it, it, you start wondering whether or not he's going to start getting fatigued later on in the season. Yeah, so that'll definitely be one, one to watch midweek if you can. Um, Chris, let's talk about Cater uh, very briefly. He got sent off Sadio Mane style, didn't he? So that that's good that he's uh, getting ready to fit in the Liverpool squad. Uh, but uh, people talking online about Cater uh, possibly being the, the best player in the uh, Bundesliga. And well, we obviously um, rate him very highly. Uh, you know, And I suppose deep down, we're, we're quite happy that he's leaving the Bundesliga to go to Liverpool instead of somewhere else. But... Is he even the best player in the RB Leipzig team? I mean, Timo Werner is just on fire at the moment. Well, it's it's always hard when someone says who's the best player in the team. Well, you know, you could argue that one of the strikers is brilliant, but not in this particular instance. But then you could also say that if you haven't got a strong goalkeeper, then you know you, you leak goals. So is the goalkeeper the best player in the team? It's. I would more than argue, is he the best midfielder in the Bundesliga? So last season, yes, most definitely. This season, you know, he's had a little bit of a rough ride. Obviously, he had the um, up and down summer. Was he staying? Was he going? He's evidently wanted to go. So he had all that playing on his mind. Um, then he was injured. He was injured for a midweek game, and now he's been sent off. So he's not had the best of um, opening starts of the season. So... Is he? I definitely think he's one of the best midfielders in the league, without doubt, without question. Um, you know, is he the best player at Leipzig at the moment? Probably not, but that's down to just the way he's been. Um, you know, the past few match days, Timo Werner is head and shoulders above anyone I think at the moment in the Leipzig side, just because of how well he's playing and how easily he's finishing. So. Uh, I wouldn't write him off just yet. I'd just say he's had a bit of a poor start and he's not... Um, in fact, we're probably talking about this because he's not at his usual level that we saw at last season, which was exceptionally high. But, you know, he's going to come back from his dismissal and any injury niggles because he was injured a couple of times in pre-season as well. So let's hopefully he shakes those off and then we see the Nabicator that we saw last year, which was, you know, box to box and side to side and front to back and everything that made him, you know, the player that lots of teams wanted to sign in the summer window there's a lot of good players in that league Bryce I think to say Keita is the best player in the league is um, a lot of disrespect to a lot of other players that play in the Bundesliga and put in high performances and have done so for more than one season as well and I think first of all I agree with you Chris I think first you can't really compare one player to another different positions it's so difficult I, I personally say he's Saying he's the best player in the league, you can't really do that, right? Because you're comparing apples and eggs. And that's, that's something that you, first of all, I think that is a mistake. But, you know, 
Keita has to show that he is the best player on his position. He was certainly the most important player for Leipzig at times last season. But he, this is, this is the year where he has to show that he can do it, not just in the Bundesliga, but also, you know, in Europe and on consistency, consistently. So let's just wait and see on that. But I can think of a few guys that have played in midfield for, for several years now in the Bundesliga and are definitely at the same level, at least. I think it's important to, to mention, like I did, that, you know, he is playing in a midfield too. And that, that really is where he, he comes into his own. There's, there's very, very few players who can play in, in a midfield too and, and play as well as he does. And I think that's why Dennis Zakaria is so impressive too. A 20 year old coming in and, and just picking it up just like that. Well, there's actually, you know, you mentioning his substitutions, John. I think we have to remember that he's just 20, right? And he's getting used. He's gone from Switzerland to the Bundesliga. And the Swiss league is a very good league. But it is, you know, a lot more demanding to play week in and week out in the Bundesliga. Yeah. I think it's it's going to be really, really important to Gladbach season if they can keep him fit. If they don't, I'm not entirely sure who they bring in, who's going to be able to achieve the same sort of level that is required of that of that ball-carrying midfielder in the midfield too. Yeah, very interesting things. And yeah, I love the expression, uh, comparing apples and eggs to me. So, um, guys, I, I feel we need to move to the Sunday games and talk about, uh, rather, well, there were two big score lines, but let's talk about the first one in, uh, Bayer Leverkusen absolutely smashing a uh, Freiburg. I feel we have to go to Manu on this because of what he said at the start of the season. <laughs> I, I think we can. Can't really shy away from that, but title contender hopefuls, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, doing all right, aren't they, uh, Manny? Yeah, I'm kind of eating my words a little bit, aren't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm definitely happy that they they finally did get a result because I did think that they were playing well against Bayern in the first game, and then um, Bayer did a Bayer and you know mucked it up a little bit, but they were very good um, today. You know, Kevin Folland. Um, has been snatching at his chances a little bit. And I, I do still think when you, when you look at the squad that they have, that, that they have an excellent squad and they should be getting better results than they do. And, um, maybe they can kick it on from there. But yeah, if the, the title contender, I think, uh, I'll slightly take this back. I do think <laughs> that there's a chance that they can finish in the top four and I'll, I'll stick to that because I think there is a chance that they could. And with the squad that they have, they actually, I, I actually think they should. Um, you know, just by going up and down the squad list, it's a very st- strong team. And, you know, once they get, uh, the situation with Alarios, the Argentine, uh, striker sorted, um, we're going to have a piece on that actually come up on fußballstadt.com this week, um, on what's going on there. Um, I think once they get that sorted, then they will look even better. And, you know, that result today showed to me what they can do, but, Freiburg, oh man, Freiburg are in a world of trouble. I, I'm really worried about them. Yeah, that's it. Last year, I mean, Cologne and Freiburg um, were a joy to watch, very strong at home, and they've had very slow starts. Early days, though. Um, to, speaking of uh, Leverkusen, do you, do you see them getting a win away to Hertha Berlin, uh, Manu? I mean, obviously, that was their first win of the season, uh, one, one win in four. But if they could get another one, that, well, That'd be sending them in the right direction, wouldn't it? Yeah, if Hertha doesn't put them to sleep, um, that seems to be Paul <laughs> Dadai's strategy these days. Uh, put asleep, the tri- put the opposition asleep, and uh, strike. Um, have you ever seen a more boring team in the Bundesliga? I wonder. But um, I think they can uh, get the three points there. I've seen them there um, towards the end of the season last year. I went to the Olympia Stadium match day 34, right? And we covered that game and they beat Nehata 6-2 um, at the end of what was a horrible season for Leverkusen. So I think definitely they can. If they are on form, and I think that 6-2 four result and the 4-0 result showed, shows how much potential there is in this squad. And um, if that Leverkusen side shows up, I think then they will definitely walk away with the three points. Yeah, and then maybe we'll be able to stop joking about uh, Leverkusen to you, but uh, <laughs> I can see this one being dragged out for another while. Uh, Chris, um, the Freiburg, someone that you visited uh, not so long ago, and they've failed to, to get a win in four, just with two draws and two losses. It's been a very slow start um, from them, hasn't it? It, it? Is it a bit of a concern there? Do you see them being pulled into the relegation battle of, of the season? or? Um, well, I- 
I said, uh, I tweeted out earlier on today that Freiburg worried me from the time I saw them play away um, in the Europa League qualifier where they were beaten by Domzole and Kate Domzole. They worried me from there, um, just their approach and their, well, just the way they handled the entire game. And I haven't been that much um, reinforced with a position of, of joyfulness when watching day one. Christ, that game against Frankfurt, you know, that's 90 minutes of my life. I won't get back. Um, I thought they were poor. Um, I thought, you know, obviously they've been poor again today. I think they're really missing the two players, you know, who we thought they would miss when they were sold in the um, in the summer window. I don't know if they've been able to backfill that sort of quality. Um, you know, it's nice to see um, Ryan Kent get a run out, but you know, even then, wasn't particularly impressive in that um, in that region. But then he'd come into a side who you know were getting snotted. So. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one, and it, I think it's going to be a difficult one for them for the entire season because they haven't got. I don't think they've got that. We talked a lot about this this particular part about cohesion. I don't think they've got that cohesion. They def they had last season. I mean, they were turning over teams and putting in performances. You know that were way above um, their weight level if they were boxers. I mean, just think back to that day where they opened up the second part of the season and their game against Bayern Munich and you know they were unlucky that day but they that was the sort of class that we saw and the sort of real um, just joy they brought to the pitch and I've not seen any of that um, in the past four match days so it's a little bit of a worry they'll have to snap out of that soon otherwise you know they could be favourites to go down if they're still where they are in two or three match days I would really start to worry for them maybe more than I am now. And how frustrating for them as well that Vincenzo Grifo is sitting on the bench at Gladbach. They've got rid of him, one of their best players, and he's not even playing. And he was probably, you know, I would argue that he's a bigger loss than Maximilian Philip was. Mm. Um, we've seen what Philip's done today at Dortmund. I know we'll chat about that in a bit. But yeah. um, Grifo was a standout player for them. And it must be frustrating for them to see that, you know, he's moved on, albeit to a bigger side. He's not playing. You know, could they, could he have moved on and been loaned back? You don't know. But at the moment, those the loss of those two players has hit Freiburg massively. Mm. I think Philip in particular will score goals in a good team, whereas I think Vincenzo Grifo was a clutch player. He was pulling them, because he's such a good set-piece specialist, he was pulling them games out of the bag for them. And not having that now will, will really make them suffer. Yep. Yeah, that's it. I'm playing Hanover, who are in fine form. Is not going to be, um, well, the opposition that they'd like to come up against uh, midweek. Uh, let's talk about the final game then, being uh, Borussia Dortmund taking on Cologne. Uh, it was a 5-0 win to Dortmund. Both teams returning from London and, yeah, uh, one sider obviously looking very strong, sitting at the top of the table. The other side looking very poor at the bottom of the table. Uh, we'll go back to you, Chris, uh, for this. Um, yeah, a real tale of two very different sides this season. Uh, you must be very happy with uh, how Dortmund have uh, well started the campaign. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm exceptionally happy the way they bounced back through the midweek result. As I said earlier, I thought they were a little poor um, today. I thought they were excellent. Um, but it was it was an okay first half. The uh, VAR goal right at the end of the first half helped. Um, I know Cologne aren't particularly happy about that and. Um, they've um, put in a complaint to have the match replayed, which I think is crazy because uh, one, the VAR, um, you know, the, the replay clearly showed that the referee blew his whistle as the ball was crossing the line. So none of them can argue that the whistle stopped them from playing. Um, and if any of them wants to argue that the referee had moved the whistle towards his mouth, well, you know, they should really be looking at what's going on in the box and not the referee's you know, mouth. Um, I can't see this game getting replayed. I think it'll be laughed out for the fact that VAR is particularly right. Um, but I thought the second half was was excellent. Um, we had two goals in a minute, um, penalty, and then um, Aubameyang racing down and, and um, scoring again. So um, I thought it was good. And what I was particularly impressed about was, was the midfield because I thought they were particularly poor on um, Wednesday night and I thought they weren't today. Um, Dahoud played through just a fantastic um, little slip pass into Philip um, for the, um, I think it was the fifth goal it was. Um, it was, you know, a brilliant little chip. He lifted it over the keeper, over um, Timo Horn. And, you know, it just, just sort of summed up there in pace and attacking attacking sort of Dortmund that we'd seen um, for a long time you know the 4-3-3 we all know it fits them perfectly well 
Lanka played well again today. Philip Aubameyang, Dahoud, um, Sahin Sokratis had a, as a good game as well. Zagadou was impressed. He came in and he was okay. Top rack. Um, Piszczek had a bit, bit of a better game. And God damn it, Berkey had a better game than he did the other week, uh, on Wednesday with those <laughs> two near post goals, which, you know, were, were awful. But if you need an answer, if um, Peter Bosch wanted an answer to Wednesday night's display at Wembley, he certainly got it. And I thought they were brilliant today. Um, and I think everybody in Dortmund will be very happy with the response they've shown but as for cologne yeah um yeah they were um they looked at a jacket side um, and i don't think it helped that the goal came so early after two minutes um phillips opener and they probably thought here we go again we've had a bad week it's going to get worse uh, and to be honest it did for them yeah we did mention didn't we that it was hard to see them picking up any points from their europa league game or this one um last weekend yeah, that that this played out exactly how we expected, really. Um, just to speak about uh, Dortmund um, a little bit more, um, Manu, we, we obviously said um, previously that uh, Yarmolenko and Philip Jorn, it's a bit too early days to, to judge them as such, but they both had very bright starts, I feel. I, I think they've looked pretty good so far. Yeah, Philip had a, had a great start to this game in particular. And... Um, you know, he's, he, he's filling, filling the void that Royce has left because of his uh, ACL, ACL injury. So I think he's, he's doing quite well. It's a big step from Freiburg to Dortmund and they paid a lot of money for him, 20 million euro. Uh, it's a, you know, the beginning of the summer at least was still a lot of money. Uh, it seems like very little now, but you know, he's, he's doing quite well. And uh, Yamolenko, I mean, um, that goal against Tottenham, I think I said in the, in the chat, Winter Chiamolenko, I've seen him, I've tracked his career for a long, very long time now, all the way back to when he was still playing in Ukraine. And I, I, I had doubts about whether he can, um, whether he wasn't waited maybe a little bit too long to make that move from Ukraine to Germany, but he's blossoming in, in Dort, at Dortmund. You know, it, it, it seems like it's given him a lot of, um, it's the right kind of motivation he needed, you know, he needed, he needed to step up and play and he's, he's taking it with stride. So, um, I think he's proving some of the doubt does, um, wrong very early on. And he's, I mean, he's a fantastic player. He's, he's offering Dortmund something that they didn't have last season is that almost like second striker playing in that 4-3-3 because he is almost like a striker and he's so direct to the goal. Um, he can play on either side of the wing. Um, I thought right, left, it doesn't seem to matter to him at all. He just uses uses his uh, right, uh, left foot a little bit differently. So he, he adds a different dimension to that Dortmund play um, that they didn't have last season and um, maybe makes him a little bit more dangerous up front. And that's at least how I, I, how I see it. He had a brilliant pass. I don't know if you saw it with the outside of his left foot. Yeah. Um, this afternoon that just was an unbelievable ball curled around the defense and uh, I think it was um, it was Philip which headed it and then that was the handball for the penalty so it, it was a beautiful um, flick with the outside of his boot and it, it, that's just I think that's the sort of vein of form he's in where you know it's a hard pass with the outside of the boot and it's almost like a nonchalant I'm on the this out sort of ball and you know it was um, it was a fantastic ball yeah, he's yeah, a, absolutely outrageous. He's a good player, you know, and the, the, I had no doubts about his talent. I just, I was just wondering if he maybe waited too long for this move, but you know, it's, it's refreshing his career right now. And I think, um, Dortmund will have a lot of fun with him. And just before we wrap up the show, uh, John, if, if we go to you and we speak a, a little bit about Cologne, at midweek they're going to be at home to Frankfurt. How important is this game? I mean, we've obviously seen that they've had a, a bit of a tough start and now they've got to balance uh, you know, league and Europe. But, I mean, following this, they've got Hanover, uh, Leipzig and Stuttgart. And all of a sudden, every game um, is starting to look like a tough one for them. So they've really got to pick up three points against Frankfurt, haven't they? Yeah, they really do. I was very, very critical of John Cordoba um, when they when they signed him, and I think a couple of uh, the guys on, in in the football grad network were saying, "Well, you know, Modest was the same sort of pedigree; he hadn't really done a huge amount. He came in and scored loads of goals, but it's such a risk to bring in a player who isn't known for scoring 
prolifically and then saying hopefully the same sort of thing will happen and you just need to look at they've conceded 12 goals they've scored one in in the Bundesliga that's just not good enough so they are going to have to work out how to score and they're going to have to work out how to score soon because like you say if they don't start uh, climbing the table they could they could be uh, in a relegation battle for the whole season yeah, they could. I, I can see that being a very long season for the Billy Goats. But guys, that more or less. Hey, actually, have... before we go, Bryce, oh, there's uh, a bit of breaking news. It's not a de- de- decided yet, but it looks like Andres Jonkers is going to be relieved of his job. Uh, talks wow. are going on at Wolfsburg, and it's, it's in the advanced stages already. The the head of um, one of the Volkswagen, so the owners. Um, CEO's Javier Garcia has already, um, lowered his thumb, uh, to, to <laughs> use the German expression. So, and the, the sport director has already been put in charge and finding a new coach. The names that have been floating around are Markus Weinzierl, Martin Schmidt, and Thomas Tuchel, um, and Lucien Favre. So, um, bit of a developing story, but it looks like Jonker could be the first one to be axed, uh, in the still very young Bundesliga season. Well, very early days, and what news to come in just as we're about to wrap up, eh? Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris, would you say that this is a little bit of a surprise that Siri would be relieved of his job so early? We saw a few quick managerial changes last season, didn't we? And then we saw a plethora of them around the Christmas time. Um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're 14th. Uh, they're on a downward spiral. I mean, they've got four points from four games. That's, you know, a point per game. Um, so they could end up with 38 points at the end of the season. That's might be good enough for survival. Um, <laughs> you know, it, seriously though, um, yeah, if they want to act quick um, to do this, I mean, don't forget they were in the relegation playoff last season. Um, you know, I was there, um, and it was a real nervy first leg um, up at the Volkswagen Arena, and you could tell that the, the you know the locals didn't want to go down um and you could see by the faces in in the you know the high echelon of the boxes that they weren't particularly impressed about being there so maybe it's an eye to the fact that you know they don't want to be in the same situation as they were last season which is in that you know godforsaken 16th place so act now um if they can get a bit of a new manager bounce then you know they could be back up to um seventh or eighth in the next couple of match days whereas if they prolong it um, they could find themselves, you know, getting rooted to that 15th, 16th spot by match day 10. And then it's hard to try and get out of it. So um, I can see why they would do it. Um, it's who they take, isn't it? And what we saw a lot of last season was taking um, a manager for a short period of time while you look for a better manager. And all of a sudden, after two games, um, that manager is then being given a full contract, which turned out to be a mistake for a couple of sides. So if they're going to do it, they need to do it properly. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like he lost the dressing room, Chris. That's that's. Oh, there we go. That's well, what yeah. I've been reading that, between I mean, the lines. Yeah, once that happens to a coach, it's pretty hard to get it back. I mean, we've mm. been talking about it with um, Ancelotti at Bayern. It's a bit of a different um, animal there. But somewhere like Wolfsburg, if you lose the dressing room on match day four, um, yeah, it's pretty inevitable. Anyone else disappointed that Roger Smith, even though he's got a job, has not been linked? He's in China. Yeah, I know he's got a job, but you know I'm just disappointed that he's not being linked to come back. It was so much fun talking about him last year, but uh, let, let's just uh, call it there, I think, guys. Um, Chris, what have you got going on this week that you would like to uh, draw people's attention to? And where can they find you on Twitter? Um, well, they can find me on Twitter at Chris seventy eight Williams. Um, I'm doing a little bit this week for um, Football Grad about Penev, the um, Bulgarian national coach, also as uh, CSKA. Um, I was lucky enough. To- minutes with him at CSK for Sofia the other week and talked all about Lechkov's goal and how um, Beckenbauer um, you know was chatting about it after and how um, Penev, uh, sorry how um, he didn't really want to talk about it because he was over at Hamburg so it'll be it'll be a good piece and it was just a real privilege to speak to somebody who'd um, seen it and done it in world football um, so yeah that's what I'll be doing this week. Wow I look forward to that. Uh, Manu what have you got going on this week? Always loads it seems. Yeah, we have a few previews um, out on Fußballstadt, the midweek games. We'll do three, the Bayern, um, Gladbach and uh, Dortmund game. And I'm working on a piece on Paulinho's time at FC Vilnius. Um, I've spoken to a journalist in Lithuania uh, during this week. So that's a bit a piece for Football Grad. So two standalone read, long reads, I guess, uh, Football Grad coming up. And... Um, slowly but surely getting ready for another week of Europa Champions League madness next week so um, 
taking a little bit of a breather so that I'm all ready for next week, I guess. Yeah, most certainly. And John, it seems like you're busy as well. You kind of fit in with these guys. Um, what all have you got going on this week? Well, I seem to be rapidly becoming the football grad uh, uh, Gladbach correspondent. So I'll be doing the uh, the preview for the the match against Stuttgart this week. Um, but the week after, I should hopefully, hopefully we'll be heading up to the Etihad Stadium to cover Manchester City versus Shakhtar uh, for for the Football Grad Network. So um, and in between that, maybe I'll try and throw out a piece on Borussia Mönchengladbach from a more tactical perspective, a bit more of a long read or op-ed piece on that. Oh, very exciting. Well, Don, we appreciate you coming on once again, and I'm sure we'll have you on again very soon. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Uh, I'll see what I can muster up and get out this week, but I'm sure we'll have a Galazzo uh, Mexican football podcast. Uh, me and Manu normally have that out each week. But uh, thank you very much for tuning in uh, once again, and enjoy the midweek games of Beaters End. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu... Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.